Even though Razorback football has ended for the 2021 season, it's 2022, and we know that we can always talk some Razorback football as well as the SEC with spring practice right around the corner. And we're going to do that with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. This is the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. You are Locked On Razorbacks, your daily podcast on the Arkansas Razorbacks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. I am your host, John Neighbors. I am also the host of Out of Bounds. You can catch every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4 on 1037 The Buzz and 1037thebuzz.com. We know Razorback basketball is going on in full swing. Razorback baseball starting up this weekend as well. But we want to talk about some Razorback football because we know that there's always things to discuss in the SEC, especially with spring practice coming up. Before we know it, and what better person to talk more about it than to welcome in Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. Does a great job covering all things SEC. And Connor, appreciate you joining us this afternoon, man. How you doing? Yeah, good to be here. It's never too early to start talking about, about football. I mean, I, I don't do the thing where I count down the days until it gets inside 100. Uh, I, I'd rather do weeks. I think that's a little bit easier to digest. And once you kind of get through some of these early weekends, it's a lot more bearable. And pretty soon we're going to be at SEC Media Days and probably singing some karaoke, man. I'm hoping so, because isn't it Atlanta this year? Is that where it they is. moved it to? Yep. Okay, so we have to find a new karaoke spot down there, and a little different from Hoover, but we'll, we'll still cut it up. We'll still make it work. And, you know, it's funny because I am I know with you and covering all things SEC, there's always stuff going on. And this just over the past couple months, really since the national championship ended and uh, the, the bowl season came to an end, it's like – you had the signing period or the late signing period for recruiting, but that wasn't even where the drama was. I mean, you had the the Jimbo Fisher stuff with Lane Kiffin, you know, kind of throwing his pot shots and then going back and forth. You had Nick Saban comments, the entire Auburn fiasco, which is still one of the craziest stories that really had nothing change at the end of the day. It's like you see all this stuff going on. And then you got Arkansas, where yep. for a school and for a place that had so much drama, seemed like all the time and really negative stuff going on. I think Razorback fans, knock on wood, hopefully no motorcycle comes into play. But for right now, everybody seems like, hey, we're, we're pretty good remaining quiet and being under the radar compared to everybody else. Go figure that Arkansas and Mississippi State, led by Mike Leach, are kind of the two <laughs> quietest teams in that division right now after the month and a half that's been. Yeah, it, it is kind of crazy to see the way that some of these things played out. The Brian Harson saga is – ongoing in my opinion and as crazy as that week was seeing a year one head coach talked about in that way and having some of these conversations about whether or not Auburn is going to pay 18 million dollars to buy out a coach 14 months after they decided they were going to pay a coach 21.5 million dollars for him to go away it's just an unbelievable thing to even have to process and I, I think that you know the the good news for a program like Arkansas is now you can build and build quietly and not necessarily have to build with your head coach answering questions about this or you know talking about this controversy or that controversy instead. I think this is the way that Sam Pittman kind of likes it. And also, by the way, kind of the quiet lost in the shuffle thing was you retain your coordinators. We talked about how big that was for Sam Pittman and being able to keep Barry Odom, being able to keep Kendall Bryles. We saw the Miami stuff surface with Kendall Bryles. I've been banging the drum, the, the drum for a little bit saying that I think Barry Odom is going to be 
three, four, maybe even five years at Arkansas as a defensive coordinator, just with the way that defensive minds kind of have to grind to be able to get that head coaching gig again. It's just a little bit, uh, it's just a little bit tougher, I think, if you're a defensive-minded coach in the way that the the game is currently played. So I think Arkansas will take sort of a ho hum offseason so far, and if the biggest headline shakeup, whatever you want to call it, is KJ Jefferson not getting enough Heisman love, then that's a that's a really good place to be. Yeah, and you you know when you mentioned the coordinators too, it's I think it's just crazy to think about some of these other schools that had some success. You know, like I bring up Ole Miss, you know, they got just ravaged with their coordinators. You know, they moved on. Um, we mentioned the Auburn situation that they had, too. We know Alabama, I guess, with the whole Bill O'Brien thing of like, would he, would he go back to the Patriots or whatever? There was always that speculation. But we know Alabama is just in a revolving door when it comes to coordinators because yeah. everyone wants to, to have a Nick Saban coach. But still, it, it's really tough, I feel like, in college football to be able to uh retain first off a team much less a staff because of the transfer portal and everything but to have the season arkansas did and to be able to keep those two main coordinators especially where you know there was probably a lot of opportunities there i always feel like it's a sam Pittman thing of course i want to give him full credit that hey they just love coaching with him uh but do you think it's something more than that is it something more that keeps these guys in fayetteville besides just being able to work with sam Pittman? The first time that Barry Odom wanted to give, or the first time that Sam Pittman wanted to give Barry Odom a contract extension, he had this 15-minute walk with Hunter Juracek. And by the time that 15-minute walk was finished, they had agreed on the terms in which they were going to give this contract to Barry Odom, this new contract. That tells you all you need to know about being aligned. And that's important. And we've heard that word, aligned. That's been said a lot as it relates to the Auburn athletic department and the, the higher ups making these decisions. That's what you need to be able to build a program. I think Lane Kiffin wants to see a little bit more commitment from some of the higher ups, from some of the boosters at Ole Miss to get on the level of an Alabama, a Texas A&M, a Georgia. I think that's why you saw some of that angst come out with the, the NIL stuff, with you know transfer portal and all this, even though Lane's done really, really well with the transfer portal. But I think that's a big part of this for Sam Pittman moving forward. Sam Pittman's, his fate, uh, fate's probably the wrong word, but his tenure at Arkansas was always going to be defined by this the decisions he made after he was hired. It was never just going to be, all right, you know, this is, this is standard here, this is standard there. It was always going to be about, can he build that right staff? Is he going to be able to communicate in a way that players are actually willing to listen to? And if he could check those boxes, then, hey, you're not going to get caught up in the resume. You're not going to be overly concerned that this guy isn't your offensive play caller or that he didn't have this job or that job. It's about those decisions. And I think Sam Pittman so far has done as good as any Arkansas fan could have hoped for in making those decisions. And I think they like they like coaching for him because he empowers them. He's not sitting there trying to micromanage. We've talked about that in the past and how that can be a hindrance to your success. And I love the way that Sam Pittman is empowering his head coaches. You're going to have assistants you know, position coaches kind of come and go, but keeping those coordinators in those roles as long as possible, that's just such a key part of being able to develop a foundation. So just looking, heading into spring practice and everything, I think you're probably going to look around the SEC and look at each particular team and, you know, what questions would we like to see answered in spring? Or here's my biggest things that we want to see as far as how these teams handle spring practices and all that. Uh, I guess with Arkansas, since they're able to retain coaching staff, 
they uh, are able to return a lot, a few, not all, but a few of the key pieces from last year's team success, especially offensively. To you, what is kind of the at least the biggest question heading into spring practice for the Razorbacks that you will be most interested in seeing if it gets answered? What does a post Traylon Burks world look like? That's it right there. I mean, I hate to say that we got a glimpse of it in, in the Outback Bowl. That's unfair to say because things can change over the course of an offseason. You get more time to be able to develop and work with receivers. I think KJ Jefferson, we're going to see him try and trust those receivers because he has to. He simply has to. I don't really think he trusted them in the Outback Bowl, and quite frankly, he didn't need to. I mean, they were running the ball at will against that Penn State defense that had a lot of guys missing, but still – that's the big question moving forward. And that's what's going to determine whether or not KJ can take that next step because Traylon Burks was that dude. And if you don't think he was that dude, you just didn't watch him play football. It's pretty simple. I mean, having a guy that can line up in the slot, that can line up on the outside, he's going to get every team's number one corner. You can bracket him. He's going to find ways to get separation. He's just a matchup nightmare. Those guys don't grow on trees. And if anybody is sitting here thinking that Jaden Hazelwood is going to step in and automatically fill that role, I think that's premature. I would rather I would rather see it play out. And also the toughness that Traylon Burks had, man. Like that you see in the Alabama game, the guys, the guy was clearly not nowhere close to 100 percent Even in the Mizzou game, he's nowhere close to 100 percent He's out there just doing whatever he can, even on onside kicks. I mean, that that guy, that presence. I think he deserves to be remembered as one of the greats in Arkansas history. I, I so so for me to to pretend like that absence won't be felt would be uh, naive, and that's the big question that we need to see moving forward. And can KJ continue to develop trust in those secondary options? Well, I'm glad you said that because I have said the same exact thing. Where yeah, I mean, you can bring in guys like a Jaden Hazelwood, and he may be a great wide receiver. You may be able to have some guys develop. Maybe some guys take steps forward. But I just don't think sometimes because in the moment you don't realize what you had with Traylon Burks. I feel that Traylon Burks was, as far as athletically and his presence, the greatest Razorback football player to step on the field since Darren McFadden. And the reason I say that is because how I looked at Darren McFadden's greatness when he was at Arkansas is that every time that he stepped on the field, no matter who he went up against, he was the best player on the field individually. Now, Traylon Burks, could you say that every single time? I don't know, because they went up against some really talented teams. But you just felt like Traylon Burks, no matter what defensive back they put on him, no matter you know who they had or how, double coverage or whatever, he just did all the things right where he didn't have a weakness into his game. And to me, that's like people don't realize how much of an impact that has on an offense. Like, Arkansas had really good pieces in the running game. They had other decent receivers. You know, the offensive line was good. KJ's pretty good, too, I think. Like, we, we, we enjoy all that. But the threat, just the threat of having Traylon Burks out there, I feel like just opened up so much more of the offense that I don't know if Arkansas is going to be able to just replace him. They may just have to change how they do things next year without having Burks. Three times as much production as the next closest Arkansas receiver. And we talked, I talked on your airwaves about this a lot, about the Mike Woods departure, the bizarre circumstances surrounding that, him going to Oklahoma after spring ball. And all of a sudden, you're kind of wondering, all right, who's going to be the compliment? 
<laughs> it didn't even matter for him. Yeah. I mean, there were times in which they definitely could have used that compliment. I think that would have helped him out a lot against Georgia. KJ wasn't even really healthy for that game, and he didn't have much of a chance against an all-generation defense. But at the same time, man, like I, I just thought that what he continued to do, despite the fact that he was at the top of every single scouting report, and you knew he was going to get the ball, and more chances than more times than not, when KJ was dropping back, he was targeting that dude. And he was still able to, to to go off and have the year that he had. I mean, I just like for all the people that were saying going into the year that George Pickens was the SEC's best receiver coming back or John Mechie, I'm just like, you're not giving Traylon Burks enough love. And hopefully for Arkansas' sake, it doesn't take a year of taking a step back in the passing game for him to be fully appreciated. Because I, I think Arkansas fans do appreciate Traylon Burks, but yeah, his presence it was just so so monumental for this team the last two years. We'll continue our conversation with Connor Regera here in just a second. But first, got to tell you about BetOnline.net. Football might be over this season, but basketball is in full steam and both pro and college hoops. And from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, and where to find the next next fired head coach and where he's going to end up going, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds, right down to the Olympic coverage and information. Head over to the website now or use your mobile device and, and to learn more about the trends and the actions, heading over at BetOnline.net, where the game starts. <laughs> Razorbacks, your daily podcast on the Arkansas Razorbacks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, continuing our conversation with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South, talking some Razorback football. I want to talk about KJ Jefferson specifically because people in Arkansas are very protective of KJ Jefferson. And the reason being is because a lot of people heading into the um, into the uh, season this past year felt like KJ wasn't getting enough respects and people were ranking him one of the bottom uh, tiers of quarterbacks, which I don't think was necessarily wrong because we hadn't seen much of them, but people felt like last year was KJ's kind of big double bird to everybody that thought he couldn't do it. And then even going into next year, some fans, and I'm not saying everybody, but some fans feel like there's, he's still not getting respect because people are all about Bryce Young. Rightfully so. Guy won the Heisman. But then Spencer Rattler comes into the conference. They're like, oh, man, now there's another guy here. It, it just seems like K.J. Jefferson to Razorback fans doesn't give get enough credit that maybe some feel like he deserves. First of all, my guy, Brad Crawford, he's just never going to escape that. Poor no, Brad. He's not. <laughs> uh, I, I love Brad, and he's since apologized and everything, and he – he was the first to admit, look, man, I was wrong. And I remember even texting him that day when it came out. We were talking about, you know, because I, I had KJ in a much different spot. I think I had him at like seven to start off or something like that. And there was a lot of, um, in the back half of the SEC going into last year, I'm not saying that Brad's ranking was was justified, but I will say that in the latter part of the, the quarterback rankings, if you if you filled those out last year, it was all over the place. It was a bit of a mess. And we were trying to see, all right, what, are, what should we expect from KJ or from Will Levis or Hendon Hooker? Well, I guess at the time it was Joe Milton, um, yeah. which thankfully he was replaced. But now the the disrespect card is is a little bit more justified, in my opinion, because there, there are some Heisman odds I've seen where he's behind eight SEC quarterbacks. I'm thinking to myself, what what are we watching? 
I, I don't even know that Max Johnson's going to be the starter at Texas A&M. If I had to bet on one, I, I would have, uh, I would probably bet on Haynes Kane to be the starter at Texas A&M. So why is Max Johnson ahead of him? Or, you know, like seeing some of these things come out where Anthony Richardson is getting more of the way too early Heisman love. And I just thinking to myself, man, what's the guy got to do? Because he proved me wrong in a lot of different ways. And I, I thought he could be just a, a major wild card for Arkansas and elevating that floor. And that's what he did. And I was impressed with the mobility and the ability to, to escape the pocket and to make some big-time throws. I came into the year saying that he was a little bit like Ben Roethlisberger. I didn't necessarily think he would be able to run past the line of scrimmage in the way that he did and knocking over dudes at the second level. I mean, KJ was a blast to watch. I mean, he was so fun. And he was everything Arkansas fans kind of could have hoped for. Best quarterback that they've had in a decade at least. And for a program that has been so starved at the position – I think that KJ gets that defense for good reason, and he's going to continue to get that defense. And I think that's a good thing for Arkansas. I, I think if you are hoping that all of a sudden he gets all this way too early love, I, I would rather see him in this spot. I think that bodes well. I have him as my number three quarterback in the SEC going into this upcoming season behind only Hendon Hooker and Bryce Young. But I had to think about that. I had to think, could I put KJ at number two? Could I realistically put him ahead of Hendon Hooker? But I just thought some of the things that we saw from Hooker were just a touch better in being able to have more weapons outside of just the primary guy. So I'm all in on KJ. I'm excited to see what he can do this year. And I think what also was at least surprising to me, because I thought KJ had a lot of the potential, of course, to be great. And obviously having some weapons around him like Traylon Burks was extremely helpful. We can't discount that. But I guess the thing that really surprised me the most about KJ was just how he didn't turn the ball over, which I'm yeah. not saying that, you know, I expected him to throw 15 interceptions, but just knowing that playing in the SEC and going up against some of the defenses that he had to go up against, especially this past year, to really only throw four interceptions on the year, where one of them against Ole Miss was right before halftime, where it was just a Hail Mary. Uh, another one was against Texas, where it was just an insane play by the cornerback. And the other one was also an insane play by the cornerback in uh, the Outback Bowl. So, I mean, you're just talking about great plays, not necessarily bad decisions. That, to me, was really what separated him for a lot of Razorback fans. Is like, yeah, athletically, he's gifted. I mean, he can run, he can throw, he's got a big arm. But it's his decision-making to where he just didn't turn the ball over. And for a new quarterback, a new starting quarterback in the SEC, going up against a lot of those defenses, to have that little amount of turnovers, I think, was so... Awesome, but also so surprising considering uh, he was a new starter. I, I think that two things can be true at the same time. That, that was a huge positive. And that was the identity that Sam Pittman wanted his team to have this year. And it worked. And it got Arkansas to a place that it hadn't been in, in a decade. And being able to have a top 25 season. He's going to have to transform a little bit in that regard. You have to be a little bit more willing to take chances. I think the identity of this 2022 team is going to be a touch different. They're going to need him to try and throw the ball into some tight windows a little bit more. And that's what I think you saw play out in the Outback Bowl where, you know, he's perfectly fine calling his own number, but you've got to be able to work through some of these progressions and being able to trust some of your reads instead of just, all right, I'm going to do, you know, a little bit like 2016 or 2017 Jalen Hurts. 2017 Jalen Hurts was, if Calvin Ridley is not open, I am running the football. It didn't necessarily work in Brian Dable's offense. 
And you look at the receivers that he had on that group, and you're like, oh, my God, he had Devontae Smith over there. He had Henry Ruggs. And he still was so willing to, to tuck and run. I'm not saying that KJ has those weapons yet, but I think we need to see that continue to develop. And I'm okay if those interception numbers go up if it means that he's taking more chances, if it means that he's making more plays because he's going to be such a big part of this team and you don't necessarily want to have him be in that ultra conservative role when they're going to be in some spots where they need him to go out and make a big time throw and not be, not be afraid necessarily to turn the ball over. Yeah. And you know, the fact is, is that in the sec, we see like a lot of big time quarterbacks with big time arms and that, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll, I'm like, I'm always wondering like maybe with KJ, he just he's trying to build to where he's just he doesn't like to turn the ball or which I don't think any quarterback does, but maybe he doesn't take as many risks. And I think that that's maybe something that uh, is a good thing. But at the same time, if you want to you know, make a play in a certain way or, you know, go up against a big team, because when I think about Bama, for instance, which he played really good against Bama or even Georgia this past year. It's like the way you were going to beat those teams sometimes is you got to really go out there and you got to take some risk. You know, you got to. Uh, maybe maybe throw a pass that is not necessarily uh, one you're used to throwing, but maybe it could be a big play. And I think that that's his kind of M.O. and maybe Sam Pittman's M.O. Uh, the penalties were way too much for Arkansas, and Sam Pittman always talked about how that was ridiculous. But you can just tell with Sam Pittman and kind of with the way that K.J. Jefferson is too, it's like, hey, we're going to minimize all of our mistakes and then build from there. It's kind of like that's the priority. Don't, yeah, you'll throw touchdowns and all that. We'll get you into position. But first of all, don't turn the ball over. Don't fumble the ball. Don't, you know, get up there to the line. I, I, I like the fact that it seems like he's really just put down this foundation of no mistakes first and foremost. And then we can start playing the position and playing this game the way it's supposed to be. Can I can I say this without being unfair to KJ? Like, sure. Right, so last year, we're talking about um, the conditioning a lot and that was it was a fair question in my opinion because this wasn't the offense that he was recruited to play in he was recruited to play in the chad morris offense whatever in the world that actually is <laughs> he was not necessarily recruited to run this hurry up offense and there were reports coming out that he came came into camp out of shape and it wasn't necessarily um looking like a guy who's ready to take the league by storm i would love to see an entire offseason of kj just having that chip on his shoulder and coming into camp, getting all of those, hey, have you seen KJ? Let's see the Instagram type stuff. Let's see what he's in the best shape of his life. Not just hearing that, but kind of seeing some of that play out and getting that storyline going, I think. I think that would be a really positive development if that kind of continued. He showed up to fall camp just looking like, whoa. And he admitted it was what? It was like uh, it was gas station food that he had to kind of lay off it a little bit, which – you know what? All right. Yeah. Like we all have our vices. We all have things that kind of, you know, that, that can kind of catch up to us a little bit here and there. Hawaiian rolls for me, gas station food for him. I totally get it. But look, I, I think that that would be such a positive development and it's something that seems realistic. And if he truly is kind of motivated by, by some of this lack of Heisman love, then that's something that will benefit Arkansas down the road. So in your opinion, in the SEC, we'll just, or I guess we could, yeah, let's just do the SEC. In your opinion, where's his odds to actually win the Heisman? Because I feel like Bryce Young obviously has to be number one, considering he won it last year. But where's KJ line up in that? Um, you know, I'd feel better probably like fourth among SEC players. 
because I, I do, I think Hendon Hooker can still follow the Heisman narrative as well. And so I would probably give him a little bit of love there. And then Bryce Young, of course, even though um, I'm trying to get this trademarked, still working on it, but friends don't let friends bet on preseason favorites to win the Heisman. Um, and look, Bryce Young is going to have to put up like Joe Burrow numbers if he's going to win the Heisman, just because that's just the way that this thing breaks down. It's a narrative-driven award. KJ can follow that narrative. The, the path for him is different than it is for Bryce Young. Bryce Young is going to get dinged if he's not just like the 2021 version of himself, if Alabama isn't still in the hunt for a national championship. KJ doesn't necessarily need to have Arkansas in the national championship hunts to win the Heisman. And maybe that's part of why he hasn't quite gotten that love, because there's this belief that those two things are kind of synonymous. But I go back to, to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's team was not competing for a national championship. I mean, they lost three in a row in the regular season there, and they, they fell off the face of the earth. But it was over and done that Lamar won that award, and he won that award because he stuffed the stat sheet. He did so with his arm. He flirted with 3,000 yards passing pre-Heisman. He had 20-plus touchdowns on the ground and through the air. That's The 2020 path is where I think KJ can really – kind of put people on notice. And of course, if you beat a team that you're not supposed to, that's where we all of a sudden start asking these questions of, whoa, like what is this guy capable of? KJ continued to elevate our expectations of him throughout the 2021 season. And if he wins that old Miss game, who knows what we're talking about in terms of the Heisman conversation, because that was such a great national coming out party that was even louder than the Texas A&M game. But I would say that that's kind of his path. And that's why I think that he, there is a path that exists. And it's not necessarily defined by, oh, he's got to be 11 and 1 and Arkansas is going to Atlanta. I think there's a path in which Arkansas can be 9 and 3. KJ's putting up big time numbers and he's part of that conversation. We'll continue our discussion and wrap it up with Connor O'Gara signing down south here in just a second. But first, I got to tell you about Built Bar. Listen, we know that this time of year is where a lot of us start kind of reining back on our New Year's resolutions. Maybe we're trying to lose some weight, eat a little bit healthier. Well, don't give up on it. Let Bill Bar help you in this journey because not only is it something that tastes amazing when it comes to protein bars, but it's healthy for you. It almost seems too good to be true, but they have a bunch of different flavors to choose from. Most Bill Bars contain only 130 calories while also adding in 17 grams of protein. And the best thing about it is if you go to build.com right now and use promo code LOCKED15, you're going to get 15% off your next order. You don't matter, it doesn't matter how many you order, you can order the entire store, but just as long as you use that promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off. Your next order with Built Bar at Built.com. You are Locked On Razorbacks, your daily podcast on the Arkansas Razorbacks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so final segment here on the Locked on Razorbacks podcast. I know we talked a lot about the Razorbacks and everything, but since it's been on a lot of people's minds in the SEC, can you explain to me, Connor, Brian Harson still at Auburn, and how is that not one of the most awkward, like, work or worker employee employer relationships like i don't i just it seems like everything over there is just really awkward and i really don't know how have any idea how they're going to make this work to where you can still go out recruit football win football games and all those things considering what just happened over the past couple of months where it was just no one really knew what was going on they had a lot of rumor and speculation but this is a lot to try to overcome for brian harson to stay at auburn and be successful John, if one of your multiple employers 
said in written statements within a week after your first year on the job, hey, we're investigating this. We're not giving any sort of definitive answer about the status of you being in your current role. Wouldn't you think moving forward that it's going to be really awkward for you to do your job? At least personally, that's how I would take it. And if I'm Brian Harson, I am treating this season like my job is online. Because quite frankly, I think it is. You can talk about being aligned. That's all well and good. If you start off four and three, the conversation gets totally different. And that's much different than being in, in the same place or being aligned in February. And so I think that this, this whole deal with, with Harson comes down to a few simple factors. You need to be able to bridge that gap in recruiting and do so in a way that you weren't able to do in your first full recruiting cycle. Not having a top 100 recruit at Auburn, that's not going to fly. Brian Harson has people who like him. He has people who don't like him. That's what we've learned from this entire deal. Some of those people are really important. Some of those people are no longer with the program. It can't be a one-way street with the transfer portal. You have to be able to, oh, by the way, get an offensive coordinator who wants to stay. You can't have a guy leave after six weeks and then just pretend like everything's fine, even though you're going to be on your third offensive coordinator. You can't have stuff happen like Derek Mason taking a $400,000 pay cut to take a different job in the same exact role. These are the types of things that Brian Harson has to avoid moving forward. Oh, by the way, you should probably go out and get another quarterback too, because if I'm coaching for my job, I'd rather not have TJ Finley and Zach Calzada kind of leading the way. I'll just say that with all due respect to those guys, I would much rather have someone like JT Daniels. And if he can go out and get a JT Daniels when he finishes up his undergraduate degree at Georgia this spring, I think he'd be better for it. All of these things have to change for Brian Harson. And it's much easier said than done, especially when two of those games are road games against Alabama and Georgia. You're not escaping that anytime soon. This situation is awkward. It's going to continue to be awkward. And the only thing that's going to really change it, even though they have five home games to start off the year and could very easily go into that Georgia game undefeated, the only thing that's going to change it is having a top 15 season. That's what people That's what people demand at Auburn. And as herky-jerky as everything is, that's just what we've come to know, and that's what I'm expecting at this point. I'm just if like I'm not shocked because it seems like Auburn it's always had this element to it, but I I don't know. I'm like, how how can I like with confidence think that Brian Harson is going for one to turn it around at Auburn? And I love the fact that you know the president and everybody of Auburn is like he has our full support. And like sure. eh, yeah, yeah, like I bet. Yeah, as soon as he drops one, he's not supposed to. But like between that and then the like you know in the SEC West and how competitive it is. And I, I just, I'm like, he, if he's not fired right now, I feel like next year, unless he goes like, like nine and three or maybe beats Bama or something like that, which they were really close to doing, uh, I think he's going to be fired next year, which is another thing too. I'm like, if Tank Bigsby doesn't do that play and they John, beat Bama, John, it, John, I, John, I, mean, I mean, I mean, does, do they, is this even a thing? Like, is anybody even talking about that if they would have beaten Bama? If they would have beaten Bama, you're right. We, we're not having this conversation. The Tank Bigsby part is where I push back. I did like a 1,600-word deep dive on this on <laughs> SaturdayDownSouth.com about how I hate that as the sliding door because I think Jordan Battle made an unbelievable play. If you kind of go back and look frame by frame, you understand the dynamics. He came one yard short of getting a first down, which would essentially have ended the game. But instead, we had to listen to Gary Danielson talk about what if Tank Bigsby had just stayed in bounds, understanding that this is a guy who was like, 
fifth in FBS as a true freshman and broken tackles per attempt, according to PFF. And there are things about Tank Bigsby's game. And in that moment, knowing that TJ Finley couldn't do anything basically on one leg that would suggest, all right, this is a guy who thinks he can get the first down. And he was five yards away from going out of bounds when Jordan Battle grabbed him around the waist and essentially put a rope around his waist and pulled him out of bounds. So having said that, you're right. This all, this all goes away if you beat Bama. That's yeah. that's the mo at Auburn. It always has been. It always will be. Do I expect them to go into Tuscaloosa and beat an Alabama team that might be the unanimous preseason number one in the country? I'll say it in Spanish for you. No. <laughs> yeah, because I always laugh and when I talk to people about uh, Auburn and you know how hard they are in coaches and everything. Like one of the things that gets brought up, they're like, "Oh well, Tommy Tuberville was there a long time." I was like, "Yeah, because he beat Bama. Like and, he had a okay. good record." Here's here's another thing. Tuberville goes through Jetgate, right? Yeah. We want to talk Bobby Petrino. 2003, Jetgate happens. 2004, he goes undefeated. He goes undefeated with Ronnie and Cadillac, and he had a future first-round quarterback in Jason Campbell. He had the number one defense in the country led by Gene Chizik, and you had a team that was ready to compete and a team that was not necessarily going up against peak Alabama with Nick Saban or yeah. a peak Georgia with Kirby Smart. It's a different set of circumstances now compared to the one that Auburn was in 18 years ago. But if, if Tommy Tuberville goes like eight and four, he would have been out of a job, but instead he went 13 and zero. should have been able to play for a national championship and didn't. And he was able to keep his job. But the second that he didn't have a top 15 finish at Auburn, they're like, adios. See ya. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it works. Yeah. And same with Malzahn, you know, it's like, it seemed like what, two or three times at the end of the year, it's like, all right, well, if he doesn't beat Bama, you know, he's probably going to get fired. And, you know, Razorback fans always think about that before they hired Chad Morris that, you know, they were thinking if Malzahn would have lost to Bama. Isn't that crazy? Auburn would have fired him. And then if that was the case, Arkansas would have swooped in and hired him instead of Chad Morris. And just think about the, the landscape of how everything, you know, kind of changes. But I guess everything happens for a reason. Even though the Chad Morris thing, it's like, oh, man, just uh, you want to every, every Razorback fan wants to delete that out of their memory. But still. It's just uh, it's one of those wild things. But Connor, we appreciate you joining us, man. Great stuff as always. You do a great job over at Saturday Down South and covering all things SEC. Appreciate you hopping on, talking some Razorback football with us, man. And enjoy spring football. And I'm sure we'll be catching up with you later down the road. Sounds good. Appreciate it, man.